uh, I love new beginnings. I, I love the fact that God, you know, one of the final things Jesus says in the New Testament is, behold, I make all things new. And uh, we uh, heard last Sunday so many good testimonies of God's faithfulness. Can I let you in on something? His mercies are new today. <laughs> His mercies are new for tomorrow. And there's enough for all year long. We uh, had a feast on Friday with my, our boys, and uh, we shared communion at the end of our, our dinner together because we were sending them back to school and to where they're working. And uh, one of the things I, I asked them, I said, um, where do you need grace this year? Where, where do you need God's grace in your life? And uh, we all, funny enough, we were all able to answer that question. We all had an area of, in our lives where we kind of needed an infusion of God's grace. And so, how about for you? Do you need an, is there somewhere in your life, like this year, or, or maybe in this moment, where you go, I could use just an infusion of God's grace in my life? Can you think of that? Let me pause. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we all come as kind of needy, broken people. Sometimes we look more together, and sometimes on the inside, we're just falling apart. Um, we want to declare again our hope is in you. You who were faithful last year, who saw us through difficult days and challenges, uh, you've promised you'll always be faithful. And uh, Lord, there's places in our lives where we just really need your grace. Would you do that in us, God, we pray. I pray, Father, for our friends and those we know. Would you grant them your grace? Touch us this morning, Lord, as we uh, break into your word. I pray it speak to us, reframe our lives so that they make more sense that we're able to live a little bit more according to your word, your heart. We devote this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not kidding. Happy New Year is probably one of the most common greetings at this time of year. And earlier this week, the New York Times was talking about this quality of happiness. And they cited a, a well-known study that I remember from my student days of long, long ago. In 1938, it wasn't that long ago that I was in school, by the way, um, but in 1938, researchers at Harvard set out to learn what makes a person thrive. They recruited more than 700 participants, a combination of students from Harvard and then low-income teenage boys in Boston. And all were willing to let these researchers track their lives from childhood troubles to first loves to their final days. And every five years, the researchers gathered health records from the participants. They asked each one questions about their lives in two-year intervals. And then in later, later days, they took DNA samples. They performed brain scans. In fact, 25 of the participants, after they died, allowed their, they donated their, their brains to be studied as part of this study. Now, 85 years later, the Harvard study of adult development has expanded to three generations and more than 1,300 descendants of the original participants. It is, according to the researchers, the longest-running in-depth study on human happiness in the world. And from all that data, one very clear finding has emerged. Strong relationships are what make for a happy life, a thriving life. More than wealth, more than your IQ, more than social status. It's the strength 
of our relational connections that, more, that most determines whether we feel fulfilled as human beings. Perhaps this is why when Jesus was asked which of all God's commandments was the greatest, he prioritized two relationships in his answer. Love God, love people. This is the scripture, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus made it really clear that there are two, re- two relationships in human <laughs> in our human relating that matter most. One is our relationship with our maker, and the other is our relationship with other human beings. And, and as we start into a new year, there seems to be this natural impulse to reorder our lives, to think about, to consider what matters most, and, and kind of realign our lives with those kind of priorities, and, and think about how we might invest there. So I think it is actually a very good time of year for us to think about how do we invest in those relationships. So this week and next, we're going to focus on those. This week, I'll talk about loving God. And next week, Pastor Kevin will be speaking about loving people. So Jesus, when he answers the question of what is the greatest commandment, the first part of his answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. A couple of observations. First of all, God, uh, Jesus urges us to love God, to love him. I mentioned this on Christmas Eve, how people sometimes think of the Christian faith as beliefs you're supposed to believe, or behaviors you're supposed to behave, <laughs> rules you're supposed to follow. But because God is a person, God wants a personal, personal relationship with you. And if we learn anything about God from Scripture, more than any other quality about him, we learn his most defining quality is love. This relationship that we have with God is to be marked by love because God is love. In, in one of John's letters, he reminded the early Christians, he said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Uh, thinking of love and relationships for a moment, um, question for you. Have you ever had a roommate? Anybody? Anybody have a roommate now? <laughs> Probably some of you. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking roommates very specifically. I'm not talking about your spouse or your kids. I'm talking about roommates. And, and with roommates, there's really no expected standard as to what kind of relationship you have, right? <laughs> like, there's no rules for this is what it must be. You could be best of friends, it turns out, or just sharing space together. <laughs> my, my sons have talked about this. They, they're in the season where they have lots of roommates and have, lo- have had lots of roommates in their school careers. And, and some, they say, you know, they, they're going to be in their wedding parties. They've, they've become so tight-knit and close. And then others, they say, it's literally, we, you know, share household chores and we agree who's going to pay the bills and they, they never 
share a weekly meal together or watch a show. <laughs> they just live separate lives with, under the same roof. I, I wonder if sometimes we can treat God like that, like kind of a glorified roommate. <laughs> you know, we, we think of our relationship with him, and it's, it's actually quite, how might you say, functional? <laughs> like, you know, you, you're responsible for this, and I'm responsible for this, and, and, and really, you don't have any relationship except for the jobs that you do, and you do those jobs quite separately. We make it work, but there's no friendship. Jesus says, au contraire. <laughs> Actually, he didn't say that. He didn't speak French. <laughs> Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. That's intimacy. That's, that's so very personal. You know, in our, our vision here at Hillside, we often speak of connecting deeply. Connecting deeply with God. Like, like that picture of a, a good shepherd with a sheep. So in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we're invited to be moving so much beyond shared space with God and coming to love him. And we can love him in all kinds of ways. Second observation. While Jesus gives us two commands, love God, love people, he tells us to love God first. And the order is kind of important. Actually, because God is, loving God is the primary reason for our existence. That's the, the greatest meaning of our lives is this invitation to love God. So the order is important. Love God first. Now, loving God may seem challenging to you. Have you ever tried to love a person? <laughs> Speaking of challenges, right? Um, why don't you just turn to your neighbor real quick, look him in the eyes and say, you're hard to love sometimes. You don't, you don't just turn. Yeah. You're hard to love sometimes. Right? <laughs> now turn to him and say, I can be hard to love sometimes. <laughs> but this is what John was getting at. He says, whoever does not love does not know God. So on one hand, out of this intimate connection we're to have with God, who is the source of all love, out of that, we can actually love others more truly and authentically. I've tested this a lot, actually. When I am better connected to God, I'm better connected to the people in my life. Anybody found that to be true? C.S. Lewis once explained these dynamics in a well-known essay and, and letters. He, he said, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God, and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. What Lewis was talking about, it was something he called the law. You can leave, the, leave that quote back up there, Nora. That's awesome. Just leave it there for a minute. Um, what Lewis was talking about was really the law of first things and second things. In your life and my, there are first things, things that are meant to be first, meant to be ultimate things. <laughs> and actually, that, that's a narrow list. 
That's God. And then there's secondary things. There's, there's all these other kind of things. Everything else actually is secondary, right? People, career, pets, hobbies, possessions. All of those are, are second things. And when those second things become first things, it gets all messed up. And actually you lose the joy of a second thing when it becomes a first thing. It's weird that way. Lewis explained that the person who makes a pet dog the center of their life, he loses in the end the proper pleasure of dog keeping. But when you make God the center of your life, the pleasure of dog keeping increases. He doesn't talk about cats because no one wants to talk about cats. <laughs> Just saying. I know. Keep on digging, Derwin. Um, Lewis sums this up. He says, apparently the world is made that way. You can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. Put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. <laughs> Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. So at the beginning of this year, I'd say this is a good time to reflect. Are there things in my life I love more than God? Are there things in your life you love more than God? What might the second things be that have snuck in and taken first place in your life. Augustine called these disordered loves. And so it's so important to keep coming back to this to evaluate because they, these secondary things have a way of taking over every once in a while. So I want you to ask the question, has a secondary thing grabbed your heart? Might there be a little sign on your heart that says, out of order? Why don't you take a moment just now in prayer? I'm going to give you some quiet space to reflect on this, and you can talk to God about it. God, I love the fact that second things, these uh, things that fill up our lives can actually be joys, and you can use them in our lives for good. I, I pray you'd help us to have reordered loves where you'd be first. We'd love you first and uh, preserve the joys of those second things, we pray. I ask these things. Help us in that journey, we pray. In your name, Jesus, amen. So we're to love God and to love him first. How do we do that? Because actually the case for loving God is pretty strong. <laughs> like there's, you can make a good case for that being the meaning of life and everything. It's the right order of things. 
But the, the living this out in the real world, where the current seems to be pulling us away from God, can be rather challenging, can it not? How do we do this every day, in a, in loving God as, as part of our practices? Well, well, let me take you back to the scripture that Jesus was quoting when he gave this commandment. I, I think there's an important clue there to help us think about this. Jesus was quoting a well-known passage in, from Deuteronomy 6. And what we find in that text is one of the most quoted prayers in the Bible. It became a daily prayer for, for many Israelites, ancient Israelites. It's still recited by many Jewish people today. Here's the first part of it, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. Uh, the Israelite people, yes, now. Uh, the Lord is one. One God, yeah, there's no other gods. It's like, it's, it's actually kind of reframes a little bit the, the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have one and one God alone. It, it's translated in different ways. You'll find this is kind of like different translations. They, they, they have a tr trouble with getting this kind of particular line quite right. But I don't want to nerd out on you. That's uh, for another day. And I'm not a great teacher. Um, the Israelite people gave this prayer a name. They called it the Shema. Say it with me. Shema. Shema. It means to hear or listen. And it's the first Hebrew word of this text where it says, hear, O Israel, hear, listen, remember. It's kind of like Simon when he led us in communion last week. He told us, we're so easily forgetting. And so Jesus had to tell us to remember what I've done for you. Remember. And so this is a hear, look, remember, don't forget. Listen up. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. And don't just remember that he's God Actually, turn your affections towards him. Now, the, the, the passage goes on to offer some clarity as to what to do with this command to love God. It says, Jesus, uh, pardon me, uh, Moses said this, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Today we'd say, go get a tattoo. <laughs> Love the Lord, <laughs> right? Some of you might, that would not, wouldn't be the worst thing you could do. Some of you I know right now are going, heresy. How dare he say that in church? Um, with my mother in the house as well. She's getting concerned. Sorry, Mom. I'm not getting a tattoo yet, someday. What? <laughs> Back onto the text. <laughs> what Moses was describing was the full integration of this goal of loving God into your everyday life, into how you do family, into how you do singleness, into how you do marriage, into your homes, into your work life, even into your daily commute, into your comings and goings, in your waking, in your sleeping. And, and, and the instruction was, post it on your doorway so you see it every time you're going into your home. So you'll remember the Lord and to remember his love. How does this translate into today? What might that look like? 
I'd say it's one word. It's the word habit. Habits. Uh, You could say our lives are made up, you know, our comings and goings and all that activity that we do is made up of the habits that we live by. In fact, if you, you zoom out a little bit more, our lifetimes, the people we become is formed by the habits we live by. Uh, over the years, our, our sons have really loved superhero stories, and they've talked endlessly about who their famous superhero was, what their famous superpower, what their favorite superpower was. In many ways, I think habits are the superpower that God gives to us. I, I think we often give habits a bad name. We think of habits, we tend to say that word, and I know it stressed some of you out, just me saying the word habit. It's just like, uh, uh, uh. You know, it, we think of it as being something, a, a bad habit to overcome, a good habit to forge, and it just feels hard. Maybe it feels exhausting. But it's a remarkable thing when we let God in on the forming of our habits. Uh, John Ortberg talks about this, how habits are this remarkable power, this gift from God, so we don't have to use our willpower all the time. We don't have to go through our day every way. What's the right decision here? <laughs> how, how do we live? It's, it, it, that would be even more exhausting. Habits actually give you kind of tracks to run on. They're, they're a course for us. They help make living for God a little bit more like muscle memory. Let me give you an example when it came for Angel and I to, to giving financially to God, uh, year, even before we were married, we decided that we were going to tithe. We were going to give 10% of our income to God, to the local church. And at first, you know, we had to be so intentional about it. <laughs> like, it had, it, it, we had to be so thoughtful about it. And we'd forget. We'd show up on Sunday, and uh, we'd be like, oh, man, we forgot again. And, um, we'd, and, and a month would go by, and we'd forgot that whole month. And we're like, oh, this is, we'd spent that money. And, but with God's help, we kept at it. And it eventually became something that was just organic and natural in our lives. We didn't have to think about it. It was the first thing we did when we got our paycheck. You know, we, we wrote a check. <laughs> Do you remember checks? Anybody? <laughs> Some of you still are, like, check-dependent. I mean, sorry. Um, I, I actually love technology because now you can set up automatic withdrawals. They're a genius for us forgetting types. Great way of setting a habit. We don't even have to think about giving financially to God. We can be obedient in that area and experience the joys of partnering with God with our finances through habit. And Angel and I, years before we became, before I became a pastor, we decided we'd go to church every Sunday. We just made a decision. We're going to go. <laughs> and we showed up. That decision, which became a habit, meant that on Sunday morning, we didn't wake up and think, do I feel like going to church today? Uh, what's the weather like outside? Oh, it's raining out. Like, uncomfortable to go out in that. Uh, Or it's sunny out. I'd rather do something other than going inside. Uh, You know, it wasn't based on who was speaking that Sunday or not speaking that Sunday. No, we just went. Who knew that 
this habit of going to church every Sunday would be good training for us as we became a pastor couple where it was part of my job to attend every Sunday, <laughs> right? So beware. You attend church every Sunday? We make note, and we just might hire you, right? You might be my replacement just because you showed up. Stan, I know you're dreaming for my job. I've seen you. I've seen you longing, looking longingly. You see, can have habits help make living right and being transformed into the people God made us to be just easier, more, more natural? We don't have to rely on our willpower so much. And with the formation of the habit is the formation of the person. I can't, but God can. And when God gets into you at the level of habit, into our thinking, our waking, our sleeping, our seeing, our speaking, our bodies, that's when we really begin to become something new. That's where we learn how to love God. So just in our last moments here this morning, in these first days of 2023, let me throw at you a few habits that might help you grow your relationship with God. I, I'm suspicious that maybe some of you, these habits are old hat to you. And so you just can, you know, give yourself a check that thank you, Jesus, that that's going on in my life. But for some of you, you might go, I need to, I need to spend some time thinking about this. Four suggestions of habits you could do. These are daily or weekly habits you can do all year long. First, start the day in quiet prayer. We learn this from Jesus. Jesus did this. It says he often woke up and went off to a lonely place to pray, to be with God, to be with his Father. And friends, we can find our own lonely place. I don't know where it is for you. I hope it's not your closet or your bathroom. But it might have to be at times in your life, uh, in your homes, your apartments. I, I know one of our members, uh, they have young kids, and at this season of life, they, they found um, leaving for work early and uh, sitting in his truck at a job site is where he has a lonely place, where it's just him and God, and he spends time getting to know God and God getting to know him, listening and praying. I, I, it's awesome. I do this. I, I, I'd suggest a minimum for this would be about 10 minutes. Uh, minimum, like, like take 10 minutes. I, I do this every morning. Uh, I go make myself a great cup of pour-over coffee. I, I think prayer goes better with coffee, in my opinion. And uh, I go find a, a chair in my living room, and I sit there. And uh, before I put aside my phone, which it's always good to put aside your devices, I set a timer for 10 minutes. And then I sit there in quiet. And uh, I try to slow my breathing. I just try to be present to God. Uh, and sometimes the monkeys are dancing. Anybody know about the, the, dance, the dancing monkeys? Yeah, right? They are crazy sometimes. But I try to still the monkeys. I try to, to just be in God's presence. Sometimes I, refer, I repeat a little phrase, just, Jesus, I'm here. Or, or a verse I've memorized. Those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High 
will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's been one that I repeat often. And I just be with God. And sometimes uh, it's awesome. Sometimes the monkeys dance. But more often than not, God fills my heart with peace. And actually, out of that flows all kinds of other good habits. But that's, I'd say that's an essential for me. It takes practice. It takes practice to do any of these habits. And we grow in them. We should expect to, to, to fumble around at first and to have to grow. We don't start as experts in this. But you learn as you practice. And this is a good habit because I think in our day, it can be way too easy to start our day in ways that trigger fear and anxiety. I mean, reading the news should be not the first thing you do in the morning or scrolling through whatever social media you participate in. Spend time with God. They, it anchors us in his love for us. Great habit. So start the day in quiet prayer. Secondly, engage with Scripture daily. Last week I talked about this, just how transformative, life-giving, and nourishing it can be for us to regularly engage and read Scripture now, uh, something I'd recommend to you is to not read Scripture clinically, just trying to find out what it means and get an explanation, but to read it personally. Some of you uh, would know who Mark Buchanan is. He's come and spoken at our church. He's a well-known British Columbian author, and uh, I own most of Mark's books, and I like them a lot. <laughs> More than than most books I read. I read a lot of books. I like reading Mark's books because I know him personally. Mark has become a friend of mine. We hang out from time to time, and I've gotten to know Mark's heart, and I can hear his voice when I read his writing, and I can hear the intent of, of what he's trying to get at. And when we come to know God personally, reading his word will become much more than an academic exercise, at times we will sense God speaking to us, affirming us, encouraging us, challenging us. We'll hear his voice. He'll point out things that we may need to apply in our lives. It can be so good to do that. And we have resources, as we mentioned, to, to help you with this, scripture reading plans, reading audio plans, that, so you can listen to scripture if you're not a reader. There are uh, at myhillside.ca forward slash scripture. Right there, you see it on the screen. Scripture. So go to our website, just type in scripture. You'll find methods of, of engaging with scripture. And you can actually form a plan that could start today. You could start reading today. Um, it, easy, easy to do. You can read it in any language. So if English is not your mother tongue, you can read it in whatever tongue, whatever heart tongue you might have. By the way, we have physical Bibles at our Welcome Center back there that we would love. If you don't have a physical Bible so that you can actually set aside your device once in a while and you need a physical copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one. So go to Lynn after the service and she'd give you a Bible if you don't have a Bible, okay? So secondly, engaging with Scripture daily. Another great habit, and this is very, very similar, is regularly memorizing Scripture. <laughs> we did this last summer. How did that go? We memorized Psalm 46. How many found that to be a good thing? Yeah? Did you memorize it? Okay. It was your favorite song before we memorized it? It was already your favorite song. That's fantastic. Jerry? 
Was that a good exercise for you? Yeah? That's excellent. She said doing it together was great. So I'm going to suggest we do it again this summer. We'll learn another psalm or some other scripture passage. Does that sound okay? Uh, it's, it's actually such a transformative thing to, to memorize scripture. It, for, for me, the idea of scripture memory for the longest time was like something that was part of some children's ministry thing. Like Sunday school, you learn memorize scripture, right? Not for like a mature Christian to do. <laughs> but it is so, so good. Memorizing scripture and con- committing it to our long-term memory is one of the most powerful ways of making scripture a part of who we are. I, I have a mentor and a longtime friend who confessed to me how much he had struggled for years with regular episodes of crippling fear. Just afraid all the time. This was news to me because this is a guy I admire for his courage. I, I look at his bold life and I go, you, you struggled with fear? And he says, yeah, I struggled with fear. I don't struggle with fear as much now. I said, what happened? He said, a number of years ago, I decided I would memorize one verse a week on overcoming fear for that year. So he started his year much like we have, and he decided every week he was going to memorize one one verse. By the way, there's like way more than 52 verses about overcoming fear in the Bible, but he decided 52, like Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Can you imagine waking up one morning and fear is the first thing you feel, anxious the first thing you feel, and you recite that? Don't be afraid. Be courageous. I'm with you wherever you go. I'm with you today. I'll be with you tomorrow. Don't be afraid. He did a verse a week, and God powerfully changed my friend, renewed his mind. Some of you could do this. Start with just one. Say say my goal this year. I'm going to memorize one verse. And then maybe make it two, but, or a verse a week, or memorize another psalm. I, I've heard from some of you that you've just actually gone on with the memorizing of Scripture, and it's been really a gift to you. Um, it's such a great habit. Final suggestion, Sabbath-keeping and worship on Sunday. We talk about this, the importance of Sabbath rest a lot here at Hillside. Some of you have discovered what a gift it is, and if You've already been very intentional about growing a Sabbath routine. I'd encourage you to, if you haven't been, I'd encourage you to start one this year. 2023 might be your year. Sabbath is simply defined as a 24-hour period of our lives weekly that is kind of set apart and is different from the rest. We stop our work, we worship, and we rest. To, to, To practice Sabbath requires this intentional reordering of your schedule to make room for it. For me, because I work on Sundays, Sunday's a work day for me, I take a 24-hour Sabbath from Thursday night at at sundown to Friday sundown. And and i got to confess, practicing Sabbath for me, I I can actually take time off work easily enough. That's not the hard part. It's actually resting. (laughs) Being still, uh, it became chore day for me. I'd, I'd, I'd be, it, would be, it was just like another day off. And um, I've, I've had to go under lots of work because I'm just wired to be busy and to be going. 
There's always more to do. But I got to tell you, as I've grown in this practice of Sabbath, Friday has by far become the favorite day for me. It's been so good. I play, I rest, I do no chores. I do no chores. I pay no bills. I do no shopping. I, I'm trying to untether myself from my phone. I, I'm trying. I try to not look at emails or read texts, as challenging as that has been for me, because it feels like another appendage in my body. I spend time in nature and walking and riding. I spend time with family or friends. It's so good. Let me invite you to consider two things as you think about your own day of rest. If you can, make it a Sunday where you can pair it with corporate worship. You know, where you can worship together, gather with us in person, preferably, or online if you must. <laughs> we learn from Scripture together. We create space for the Spirit to speak to us and move in our lives. And then think intentionally about the kind of things you might stop doing or start doing for the rest of your day. <laughs> By the way, Alita Friesen uh, preached a great sermon on this back in October, and you can go back and listen to that. She's got some great suggestions of what makes up a healthy Sabbath. Okay, those are a few suggestions. There are other great practices and habits that can help connect us to God. I'm not going to talk about this, those this morning. We're committed to those as a church about learning and equipping each other in uh, the, adopting the kind of practices that will orientate us towards God so that we might thrive and flourish in God. Some of the practices... Uh, you'll pick up for a season. Some of them you'll do every day for the rest of your life. At the end of the day, I want us to consider how do we prioritize and focus our lives on what matters most? How do we do that? What matters most, according to Jesus, is our relationship with God and our relationship with others. How might we reorder our lives to put God first? What changes might we make? How might a habit become a superpower for us that enables us to live more freely into what God has called us to be and do? To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Why don't we pray? I'm going to call the team up and let's, let's pray together. Jesus, I uh, think it's easy at this time of year to want to do the right things. And you see that in us and you, you're, you, you applaud it. You're cheering us on, God. And uh, it can be overwhelming to actually um, make changes to how we live. Would you help us in that? I, I pray, God, you would get into us at the level of our habits. And, and Lord, if there are practices that we need to adopt, that we need to, to grow in, I pray we might be courageous enough and, and uh, Lord, we might even say no to some other things, some secondary things in order to put first things first. Would you help us on that journey? We want you to be the first thing, God. Would you lead us in that, we pray. Give us your grace 
there most of all. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.